So we say thank you on today. Listen, grab your Bibles really quickly. Real quickly, we're going to jump straight into this word on today. I just want you to repeat after me real quick. Father God, I'm here today seeking a word from you. So open my ears that I can hear. Touch my heart so that I will feel. Renewing me a right mind so that I will do. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, amen. amen. Listen, find the gospel according to Luke. Gospel according to Luke chapter 5. The gospel according to Luke chapter 5. We're going to read a little bit. Y'all okay with reading? All right, we're going to read a little bit. Listen, we're kicking off a brand new series today entitled Ready, Set, Go. That is the name of the series, Ready, Set, Go. It is a call to discipleship, a call to discipleship. Matter of fact, let's fix it. It's a race to discipleship. And I don't know about you, but when I race, I don't like to be in last place. And so here we are beginning a new series entitled Ready, Set, Go, which is now going to be a race to discipleship. When we look uh, in the Gospel according to Luke chapter 5, you'll find in the beginning in verse 1 that... It says, now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Listen, this this scripture, Gennesaret. There we go. Get it out. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little ways from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners, and the other boat, for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am sinful man, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners of Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. For a moment today, I want to lift up this passage of text and simply say, are you ready? Are you ready? You may be seated today. Are you 
ready. Listen, this is a new series, a series that is designed to put you in a position uh, to discover why God has chosen you and picked you in the first place. Why God desires for you to be different. Why God wants you to stand out. Why God expects you uh, to make an impact. Uh, before I get into the series, man, I was preparing for this series and the title, Ready, Set, Go. It made me think about the times when I was younger and I used to race. I used to race all the times. I wasn't as big as I am now. I was quicker. I, I was pretty good. Uh, the problem is now that my daughter has developed a love for racing. And in her love for racing, she decides that she wants to challenge her daddy to a race. And I used to play with Maddie all the time racing. And we would stand on the way before we get to daycare. There's a certain spot we stand as we race to the front door. And she would, she's a cheater. Maddie's just a little cheater. And she would be like, ready to go. And then just take off. And I, I, wouldn't, I couldn't even catch her because of the fact that she had done it so quick. Now, at first, I was playing like I couldn't catch her. At first, it was like, oh, you're so good. You're so fast, Maddie. You got your running shoes on. But I decided one day, I'm going to really race this little girl. I'm going to see what she really got from this point to that point. And so we got on the line. I said, this time, I'm going to do it. I'm going to call it, Maddie. And she was like, no, Daddy, I always call her. You got to wait on me. And I said, well, Maddie, you be cheating. When you say it, you, you do it too fast. And then she said, well, Daddy, you always got to be ready. No matter what, you always have to be ready. I knew at that moment that she was a little slick cheater. She was going to get somewhere in life because she always found a way to get around the truth. And so she won again, as she always does, and I'm okay with that. But it put something on my mind to ask myself, am I always ready? Sometimes we are living and walking through life, but we're in positions of our lives that we are not ready we're praying and asking God to do some things for us. We're believing that some breakthroughs are going to happen. Life is going to change. But the truth of the matter is, deep down inside, we're not ready. Deep down inside, we're struggling with whatever it is and different issues. And as a result of our personal struggles, it prohibits us from entering into the direction and the relationship that God wants us to walk into. So we've been praying for a new job, but because of the things that we're doing uh, and not doing what God wants us to do, it's keeping us from reaching that new job. We've been praying for a marriage, but for the things that we're doing and how, how we're not being open to who God wants for us, it's keeping us from getting it. And so we're always sitting here telling God we won't, but we really should be asking ourselves, are we ready? Am I in the, the mental, spiritual, emotional position that I need to be in to receive whatever it is that God is trying to offer me? Or is it the fact that I know that God has something greater for me and just because I want it, I'm always asking for it? You can't ask for things and not be ready to receive them. It's kind of like when Isaiah calls me outside to play football, and he wants me to throw the football to him. He has a great throwing arm. He, he might end up being a quarterback. I don't know, as long as he's better than Tony Romo. Uh, he has a great throwing arm. I just don't want him to in, end up injured as much. And so he throws great. He'll tell you. He'll tell you in a minute, Daddy, I'm going to throw you a spiral. And literally, it, it's a spiral, a straight shot. I'm like, man, you are pretty good. But Isaiah has a problem with catching. And he always wants Daddy to throw him the ball. And I throw him the ball, and I'm throwing it to him. And, and the thing is, when he gets ready to catch it, his eyes are closed. His eyes are closed. And, and he, he hardly ever catches the ball because of his eyes are closed. And I tell Isaiah all the time, man, you're, you're not ready to catch this ball. 
He says, what do you mean, Daddy? It's my turn. Throw me the ball. I'm ready. And no, you're not ready because when I throw you the ball, you're closing your eyes and just extending your hands. And then you want to get mad at me when the ball hits you in the face. You want to get mad at me when, when I say I don't want to play no more because you don't want to catch. But the fact of the matter is that Isaiah is standing in position knowing what should happen, but because of the fact that he's afraid of what might happen, he's steady closing his eyes. So Isaiah has not progressed yet to the point of being ready to catch the ball. One day I decided I'm going to get Isaiah ready. I'm going to get Isaiah ready to catch the ball. And so while we were playing catch, he, he, he threw me the ball and I caught the ball. I, I, was, I was showing him I can mouse that thing. And, and, and so he, he caught the ball. I caught it one hand and I walked back over to him instead of throwing it to him. And I act like I was throwing him the ball. And when I got right in front of Isaiah, I said, lift up your hands. He lifted up his hands, and I placed the ball in his hands. I said, Isaiah, it's the same concept. The ball is going to be thrown to you. Keep your eyes open. Trust that you can catch the ball. You can do it. You might not catch it all the time, but you can catch the ball. I said, Isaiah, do you like the ball? And I took the ball, and I just started bumping him upside the head. Do you like the ball hitting you upside your head? And he was like, no, not that. I said, well, quit closing your eyes. Every time you close your eyes, the ball has a possibility to hit you upside your head. At least if your eyes are open, you have the ability to deflect the ball from hitting you in the face. You have to keep your eyes open at all times in order to be ready. This is what I want to talk about today, bringing us to a position of being ready. See, we've been going to church, many of us, for several years, some of us for a few years, some of us for a few months. And one, one of the main words that we've heard said over and over in our lives, a couple of words, disciple and discipleship. We've heard that said repeatedly over and over in our lives. The problem with it is that not too often do people actually stop and want to define and explain who is a disciple and what is a discipleship. Uh, they just want to make sure that you know, well, as a member of this church, you got a tithe. As a member of this church, you need to show up. They, they tell you all of these great things, but they don't really take the opportunity to explain what is discipleship. And why is it so important? Why do y'all keep using this word over and over? Why did Jesus call 12 men disciples? Why does this have to take place? Explain it to me so I know. Because I believe when we know better, we'll do better. It's just a natural response. I can't do what I don't know. If you ask me to, to cook a flaming young medium rare, I, I couldn't do it because I only know how to cook my food well done. I, I don't know how to leave just enough pink in the middle to make somebody happy. I know how to put sauce on that thing and make it taste good. And so here it is. I want to take the opportunity to explain to you discipleship. I want to explain to you why you're considered a disciple of Christ. What does it mean for you to be a disciple? Why is it so important? Discipleship is a part of our Christian DNA. You can't be a Christian without being a disciple. A disciple in its simplest definition, definition is a follower of a belief. They are an advocate of what they stand for. So if I call you a disciple of Christ, that means that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Not only do you follow, but you advocate, which means that you speak for, you move on his behalf, you do things, you are a representation of Christ. This is where many of us get it wrong. We're disciples from the aspect of being followers, which means I come to church on Sunday morning. I believe that Jesus Christ uh, was born, that he died, and he rose on the cross for my sins. We have all the formalities. We, we've came to church. We lifted up our hands. We've accepted Christ. We, we have all the basics. 
But many of us struggle advocating. We don't have a problem with telling people, yes, I know Jesus and I believe in Jesus. But we struggle with advocating. Why? Because advocating means that I will speak for, I will live for, I will be a walking example of who God has called me to be. It means that my life that I live is no longer my own. The things that I do are not about me, but they are about making sure that he receives the glory, that he receives the honor. If I receive a blessing as a result of it, great. But at the end of the day, my job is to do what pleases him. I'm sure most of us, if not all of us, have a job. When we go to work, we punch a clock, we do whatever we're supposed to do, we have a boss. In order for you to get your paycheck, you have to do what? What the boss asks you to do. It's a simple concept. I want to make sure that you understand it, that you do it every day already. If you work for Chick-fil-A, you are a disciple of Chick-fil-A. You smile when they tell you to smile. You greet people. You say, God bless you. Wear the uniform that they tell you to wear. And you do everything that, they're supposed, that you're supposed to do. Even if you don't want to do it, you what? Still do it. Why? Because there is a benefit related to being a disciple and employee of Chick-fil-A. Tom Thumb, Walmart, the same thing. Nobody goes to Walmart and says, I don't want to wear khaki pants today. You ain't working today. You ain't got khaki pants on. You can, you can go home. It's a policy and a procedure that's in place. Why is it so hard to understand that our faith has policies and procedures? That we have a boss. That we have someone that we have to answer to. That we have someone that requires us to be an accountable for our action. He has policies and procedures. He has given us the greatest employee handbook that there could possibly be left on the face of earth. But the thing is, we don't want to read it. We don't want to read it, and we sure don't want to live it. We're fine saying that we know you. We'll take this employee handbook, put it on our dashboard, and pray to God that it works as a ticket deterrent. That when the police see we got a Bible on our dashboard, they won't give us a ticket. But we won't pick this thing up and allow it to be a lifelong process of living that deters all types of ache and pain through your day-to-day living. We will let it collect dust, get sunburned. We will put it on our coffee table, open it up to a scripture we ain't never read just so that it can be there. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all been to Big Mama House. That Bible ain't never turned the page. It been in the same section all the time. No matter who came, nobody took the time just to, what is over here? What, what is it saying? Because it looks good. But sometimes, because we still fleshly, it doesn't feel good. We know that when times get rough, this is the answer. We know that when things get hard, God can make it easy. We know that when we're dealing with sickness and death and all types of things, Jesus can fix it. But we will use Jesus to fix it, but once that it's fixed, we won't continue to walk with him. God doesn't repair your life just so that you can remove him from your life. God doesn't spend time fixing you and putting you together just so that you can say, I don't need you or want you anymore. Some of y'all can't receive that. Women, y'all ain't put all this time in these men just to allow them to go be happy with somebody else. 
When you invest your time in them, you're expecting to get a return, right? You're looking for a ring on it or something, right? You're looking for something out of it. If you went into a relationship saying that, you know what, I'm in this relationship just to make you better for the next person, many of us wouldn't be in relationships. Because we're in the relationship because of what we can get out of it, what we believe will happen as a result of it, not for somebody else to benefit from it. Why can't it be the exact same thing in your relationship with God? Why can't we understand that God expects to get something out of our relationship? This is a discipleship process. Disciples are followers. Disciples are advocates. They not only know him, but they live for him. They live to represent what they're connected to. There are many people in the room today that have on their light shirts. They are disciples of the light. They not only know the light, but they go to the light. They represent the light. They, they will speak to the light. I would pray that if somebody said something bad, they would be the first one. You better keep your mouth off my, my church. This is not what I'm going through. You don't know my church. I ain't never seen you at my church. Because they are advocates of this thing. But every disciple needs what is called a discipleship process. See, if you think just coming to church, raising your hands, and and saying, yes, Lord, makes you automatically a disciple, it doesn't. It makes you a believer, you know, part of the process. But the discipleship process is a lifelong period of learning. Uh, We define it as uh, three principles, simply, well, four principles as a church, uh, learning, living, loving, and leading. Learning, living, loving, and leading. You come, you learn. Once you learn, you begin to live. Once you live, you should develop a passion to love it. After you love it, you do what? Lead somebody else to it. That is the discipleship process. We see this process beginning in the ready stage of Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, Jesus is by the lake. And as he's by the lake, he has a crowd of people pushing up against him. He has a crowd of people forcing themselves upon him because he's done some great things. They heard some great things. And and he's speaking this word. It's amazing how when something is good, people just want to be around it. So God is doing all these good things. He's speaking his word, and he, he has a problem. He has a problem that there's so many people, and he needs to share the word to a place, to a point where everybody can hear him. So he sees two boats. Good Baptist preacher, even a Pentecostal preacher would tell you this was the first pulpit ever used. He sees two boats, and he gets into one of the boats because the fishermen wasn't there. They were over a distance cleaning their nets. He climbs into the boat, and then when he climbs into the boat, he says to one of the fishermen, it was one of the two boats, he says to one of the fishermen, can you please push me out just a little ways from the shore? Why does he want to be pushed out a little ways from the shore? Because the people are not going to walk in the water. He knows that they will stay their distance, they will stay on dry land. If you push me out a little bit, then it gives me some space to be able to teach and preach to the people. He gets out there, he delivers his message, and he gets done delivering his message, and he changes his focus. He looks at Simon, and he says, Simon, you know what? I need you to do me a favor. Can you you take me out a little bit further into the deep? And Simon says, sure, I'll take you out to the deep. Simon probably was asking himself, why do you want me to take you out to the deep? 
believe I shared with you not too long ago that when God speaks to us, he speaks to us in sentences, not in paragraphs. God simply says, take me out to the deep. He leads off with saying, take me out to the shallow, moves forward with saying, take me out to the deep. And then he gets to a point where he ends up telling Simon, uh, throw down your nets for a catch. Every time Simon had to complete one step to get to the next step. He said, take me to the shallows. Simon did what? Took him to the shallows. He says, take me out to the deep. Simon does what? Takes him out to the deep. He says, throw down your net. Simon does what? He asks a question initially. He says, why? I mean, it's, we fished all day. There was nothing to catch. And how am I going to catch out here? But he still does what? Throws down his net. Some of us are looking for God to, to give us this paragraph. We're looking for God to hold a conversation that with us like, that says, McDuffie, take me out to the deep. Uh, when you get out there, I want you to stay just a little bit. After that, turn around, go left, throw down your net. And many of us would follow God if he said that. If God came to Brother Raymond and said, Raymond, listen, I need you to stay in life school two more years. After that, I'm going to take you up to a Division I college. You're going to coach. You're going to do that. Stay there five years. And then from there, uh, you're going to go off to the pros. You, you would stick around because you see the whole process. We get stressed with God with his sentences because it's like, okay, I do this, then what? What happens after I do this? This is why many of us can't get with the giving concept that if you give, it will come back to you because all we, we're hearing that I got to give first. We want a guaranteed return. I want to know exactly how is it going to come to me? Who's going to give it to me? How fast are they going to give it to me? When is it coming? Because we don't know the next step, we'll rather stay where we are than taking that leap of faith and trusting that God is going to do more. We would rather find comfort in our misery than trying to push ourselves to where God is calling us to be. Simon had the opportunity to find comfort in his misery. What was Simon's misery? That he didn't catch fish all night. He was out there all night. He didn't catch one thing. He was going home broke, still having to pay people for their service. He could have found comfort in that, but instead he says, you know what? I'm going to do what he's asking me to do. This is where the discipleship process begins. And simply understanding that God has something for you. That God wants to utilize you. That God has a plan of action for you that we need to realize and put into play but it's our choice to put it into play. Literally, every time God is saying something to Simon, Simon should ask himself, am I ready for this? Am I ready for what God is, is about to do with me? Am I ready for where God wants to take me? Am I truly ready for this? And so my hope is that when we look into this text and we move forward, I won't hold you long, but that you begin to identify some of the areas in your life where you have to be ready in order to be a disciple. Or you have to be ready so that you can begin to serve what the will of God and do what God is asking you to do. This is the beginning of the discipleship process. I'm teaching some of our men and our men's frat, our men's, uh, yeah, our men's frat and our discipleship class that that was Something that we need to understand that when Jesus picked these men, they were just 12 simple men. They were ordinary men. There were nobody special. The Bible tells you they were just fishermen. They didn't have a degree. Uh, they were just men that worked and labored by their hands. They, they were not doctors. They were not physicians. 
They, they just simply did day-to-day things to provide for their family. They, they were manual labor workers. They were simple men. But the thing is that God didn't just see them as simple men. He seen them as men that had the potential to become what? Godly men. He seen that if they built their relationship around him, then they can make a bigger impact than they could ever think they could. This is what I want to show you, that God is intentional. There's nothing that has happened in your life. There's nothing that you've been through that is by accident, that is not ordained and orchestrated by God to a point that he can fix whatever problems you have and that he should deserve the praise for everything that has been done in your life. You would be amazed at how detailed God is. I always go back to Genesis chapter 1 because it just shows us how detailed God is. He took seven days and actually did it in six days, but he orchestrated that thing in such a way, step by step, so that he can get to the point that on the sixth day, he can form man, and man wouldn't have to labor for anything. They could just simply enjoy what he's already done. That's how detailed God is. Don't you hate when you buy something that doesn't have enough details? I've been having the, the pleasure of helping Brother Mike. He's not here today, put together some furniture. And oftentimes in putting together furniture uh, for people, we, we get a, a, a piece of paper in there that has supposed to have details about how to put this furniture together. Uh, I'm used to the Walmart manuals, even though I don't try to pay attention to them. But sometimes this heavy-duty furniture, it comes and it has a couple of pictures of screws. And screws may be one or two centimeters bigger than the other screws. And you have to decide which screw is this particular picture representing because it becomes confusing. I remember one time we were putting together a bed at somebody's house and we couldn't figure out which screw was the right screw. And we start putting one of the screws in and next thing you know, the screw poked a hole through the wood all the way on the other side simply because it wasn't detailed enough. So we need to thank God that he gives us all the details that we could possibly need to make it to the next step. We are steady saying, God, give me more. But what God is really saying, I gave you enough because if I had to give you more, then it might not have handled. We talked about Brother Raymond having to be at one place for two years, one place for five years, the next place for three years. That may sound good to somebody, but in somebody's head, they would say, you know what, that's eight years. I got to wait to get what I want. And sometimes we don't realize that there, there's, there is a purpose for you going through the process. And in Instead of saying that, you know what, I got to wait eight years, Lord, I'll wait eight years. You know what we'll do? Because we see the bigger picture, we'll try to figure it out and make it happen our way. God, let me show you some time off that thing. You know how I know you'll do it with God? Because you do it on your job. We have policies and procedures, ways that we're supposed to do things, but we still try to find ways to save time. Uh, we, 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 can't even, we don't even like being stuck in traffic. What do we do? We, we jump off and get on side streets. Why? Because we're looking for ways to save time. We are the quickest one, We are the, the, the craziest ones that are looking for the quickest ways to hurry up and get somewhere which really is nowhere. Just simply rushing through life when we need to understand there's a process to everything. There's a reason that you need to wait. And this is what I want you to look at. First thing I need you to help, help you understand is when you ask yourself, am I ready? You need to be asking yourself, am I ready to serve my purpose? Am I ready to serve my purpose? When we look at the text, one of the first things that we develop and understand is that here it is, Jesus has a problem. 
Anytime there is a problem, there is a purpose. The fact of the matter is that you're here today lets us know that there is a problem somewhere in this world that you are the answer to solving. You are the purpose. What was Jesus' problem? The people were pressing against him and keeping him from delivering the word that he wants to deliver. And so what does he do? He needs to call someone to position him in a place that keeps him safe and allows him to share his word. He puts him in a place that allows him to tell the people what it is that they need to hear. Now, there was only two boats. There was only two boats present, and both of the boats pretty much belonged to the same individual. There was not 10, 12, 15 boats on the scene. There was two boats that belonged to Simon, the fisherman. Simon on that day had a unique purpose for being in that place. This is what baffles me about people who who join fellowships and they don't want to get involved. You know why? Because if God sent you here, you have a purpose. You may not want to admit your purpose. You may not want to identify it or tell anybody else or serve your purpose. But at the end of the day, you have a purpose. You can't sit here and gripe and complain about how somebody doesn't talk to you, how somebody doesn't use you, how you're not being blessed like somebody else is being blessed. When God has put you in a certain place to serve a certain purpose, but you decide to say, no, Lord, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to be used in that fashion. Can you imagine what would have happened if Simon would have said to Jesus, listen, man, you can't get in my boat. I'm not taking you anywhere. Because Simon wasn't paying Jesus no attention. While, they were, while Jesus was talking to the people, Simon was over to the side cleaning his net, minding his business. He had op- every opportunity to say, you know what? Life is too hard for me right now. I didn't make any money. I didn't catch any fish. Things, I'm broke. I don't know if my wife going to leave me. People looking for money from me, expecting something from me that I don't even have to give. Life ain't easy right now. I don't have time to go to church. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to be connected and and to serve in ministry. I don't have time to be used by you, God. I am not ready to serve. Because of my life, I'm not ready. Do you know how many people I've talked to and tried to share the gospel with them, and they tell me, you know what, I'm just not ready yet. Do you realize that you are looking God in the face, not me, but when God uses me to speak to you and give you an opportunity to say yes to his will, yes to his way, and you say, no, I'm not ready yet? You're not telling me you're not ready. You're telling God you're not ready. No, I'm not ready to serve. No, I'm not ready to give. No, I'm not ready to worship you. No, I'm not ready to praise you. Simply because of the problems that are going on in your life. Don't allow your problems to block your praise. Don't allow your problems to block you from the position that God is trying to put you in. God is calling you because you are unique. You are wonderfully made. That's why it's only one of you. Yes, even you, Benita, you might be a twin, but it's only one of you, and she is the other. Y'all are different in so many different ways. There's a purpose that you have to serve versus her. None of us are made to do the exact same thing the exact same way. The crazy thing is, that I believe that these boats were not both owned by Simon. I believe that one boat was owned by Simon and one boat was owned by his partners. The Bible tells us that. He says because when he goes on later down fishing, he has to what? Signal to his partner to come over. Why is it important to understand that there were two boats on the scene? 
Because if Simon would have said no, you know what Jesus would have did? Step right into the other boat. Can you take me out a little further? I don't know about you, but I don't never want God to step over me. I don't never want God to say, you know what, because of my feelings, because of what I'm going through, uh, I don't want to be used. And he has to move on and say, you know what, next. Who's next? I don't want to be in that position where, where I can literally tell God I'm not ready to do whatever it is that you're asking me to do. Because when I tell God I'm not ready, what ends up happening is because I'm not serving my purpose, I won't reach my potential. When you say you're not ready to serve your purpose, you're also saying I'm not ready to reach my potential. That's the second point of the day. Are you ready to reach your potential. What does that mean, Pastor? In order for Simon to reach his potential, he had to first, what? Serve his purpose. What was Simon's potential in the text? At this particular time, Simon was a fisherman. The greatest thing for any fisherman is to catch fish. I, I know I like to go to Lake Tawakini, uh, and every once in a while while I go out there to catch me some blue cat, I, I, I get bold, and I, I rent my own little pontoon, and I try to catch me some blue cat, and I usually come in with two or three fish. Uh, that's not a good day for me. That's, that's a horrible day. It doesn't work out well. And so what I do is I get smart, and I link up with a guide. I give the guy $100, catch on the boat with a couple of other guys, and, and we get on this boat, and we pay this guy this money, and he just happens to know all the holes where these good blue catfish, they find themselves, and they sit, the good fat ones, the, the good ones that you can slop up and chop up and make steaks, fillets, everything that you can want, and anything that you can need, and, and he takes us out there, and I could have just been out there yesterday and only caught three fish, and then we go out there, and I, I hope it ain't no game wardens in the building, but we, we'll, we'll leave with a hundred fish. Everybody getting their particular portions of the hundred fish. Because of what? We had somebody that knew exactly where they were going. That's who God is to us. He is our guide. And in order to get to our potential, we have to link up with a God. You can try to do this thing by yourself, but guess what? Every time you fall short. You may get momentary pieces of victory like I get when I catch a fish and I think it's a big one and it ain't nothing but a little six-inch fish. I, I, it's just momentary. But when I have a God, I know that I'm going to be taken care of. He basically guarantees that I got you. I'm going to make sure that you get what you need before you leave here today. You're going to meet your quota before you leave here today. That's what a God does in your life. God is asking you to serve serve your purpose simply because he wants to guarantee that you reach your potential. What was his potential as a fisherman to catch fish? He listened and he served his purpose. He allowed God to use his boat, to use what he had, even in a point where he thought he didn't have anything. Somebody need to catch that because you think you don't have nothing to give. You think you don't have nothing to offer. But right now, where you are, what you do have, God is asking, can I just use what you have? He's not asking you for fish to feed the people because he knows what? You don't have fish. But whatever it is that you have in this moment that he wants to use, Will you use it for me? And Simon says, yes. I'm ready, to be, I'm ready to be used. I'm ready to serve. He takes him out from the bank to the shallows. As a result of him serving, catch what happens. When you serve, God gets the glory. 
Simon pushed out to the shallows and God got the glory. Why? Because he began to preach to the people in a way that only he can do and lives were changed. Things begin to happen. When you choose to serve God, God works through you and impacts their life in such a way that he then says, you know what? Now that you served me and helped me, I want to bless you. See, we want the blessing before we have to work. See, many of us, that's why we will take those quick payday loans out because we need the checks now. We want the check right now, and then we'll work for it later. They even got so smart, they got an app now that I've seen where you can download the app, you can record your hours, you can get your money every day, and they just take your check from you later. We want everything so quick right now. This is why many of us stay in financial debt and ruts over and over because we're doing stuff before it's time for us to do it. When we need to simply wait on God, follow his directions. I want to share with you something. I posted a video yesterday that when God speaks, God's voice is a proclamation. But in God's proclamation, when he speaks into your life, uh, however it is that you hear him, which I believe that he speaks to us audibly, not out in the open, but within our spirit. And I believe that you will understand and that you need to know God's proclamations comes in two forms. Uh, One of these forms is a warning. When he comes and he tells you, you know what, if you don't fix something, you're going to have problems. The second of these forms is, is a prophecy. The second of these forms is not just a prophecy, but it's a direction. He's telling you, this is what you need to do. The reason I, I want to talk to you about this, because I, I, I'm transparent. I talk about myself. Pastors ain't perfect. If you thought they were, you at the wrong church, because I, I'm nowhere near perfect. When God called me to start the light, he told me, I heard him speak into my spirit, uh, you will take care of the church for three years. You will take care of the church for three years. Now, For a gung-ho young minister that's excited, I'm like, okay, I got all the money I need. I got what I need. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to take care of the church for three years. I'm going to sacrifice whatever I need to sacrifice, and I'm going to get it done. I I felt like that's what God was saying to me. That that was the right thing. That's where I needed to go. I didn't have anybody that wanted to be honest with me and and help me understand that when God speaks to us, his proclamation is either a direction or a warning. I took God's prophecy in my life at that time as a direction when, guess what? Just recently after we finished our three-year mark, it was revealed to me that it was a warning. That it was a warning that because of the fact that I wanted to do church how I think church should be done and not be in the position to do it God's way, the church would become my financial responsibility. Why? Because God don't bless no mess. God is not, he can't put his hands on something that you won't allow him to have full control for. So here it is, I've been like, God, I've sacrificed for you. God, I've done this for you. And trying to celebrate God, make it rain. Where's my blessing? Open up the windows of heaven. When God says, no, no, that was not Direction, I didn't ask you to do that. I was warning you that if you didn't slow down, if you didn't do things my way, you would have to pay the cost. God didn't tell me to get billboards on the freeway. I thought everybody else was getting billboards. We need billboards too. That that wasn't what God asked us to do. And so he reminded me that the reason why you're still where you are, and I told you it was going to be three years, is because of the fact that you wanted to do things your way. Now catch this. The greatest thing is that our God never gives up on us. This is why he follows what he said and says, now greater is waiting. Because now that you've learned your lesson, I can take you to a whole nother place 
But what you have to do is always allow the church to remain in my hands. You can be in the church, you can serve the church, but I need you to allow it to remain in my hands. Why? Because you're not in control. So I've learned to listen to God a different way. Now when God speaks, I'm I'm asking myself, is this a directive or is this a warning? Because I want to make sure that if it's a warning, I'm like the people of Nineveh, and I accept it and embrace it as a warning. Because when when Jonah came and spoke to the people of Nineveh, and he said, listen, y'all got 40 days, and God going to tear this place up. Guess what could have happened? Nineveh could have said, turn up, the best 40 days of my life, everybody 24-hour block party, it's going down. But what did they do? They knew that that wasn't a directive, that Nineveh had to die. They understand that this is a warning, and a result of it being a warning, what happened? I have to change what I do. If God is speaking into your life about something, the question is, have I been looking at it from the right perspective? Have I listened closely to what God is asking me to do? Do I really hear what God is saying or have I taken what God is saying and because of my natural eye, I have applied it to whatever way I want to apply it to make it fit me. It made me feel good to sacrifice. Why? Because I said, God told me to do it. God told me to do it. And to see how God already knows my future before I know it. Here it is three years later. I'm not in a position to financially take care of our church anymore. He knew the exact time frame, not a second late, an exact time frame. This is our three-year anniversary month that he said, you know what? Here, it's going to stop because I have to stop it before you go too far. This is the opportunity for you to reach greater. God wants you to serve your purpose so that you can reach your potential. Serve your purpose so that you can reach your potential. Uh, here it is, Simon served his purpose. As a result of him serving his purpose, he begins to be rewarded. He begins to be blessed. Why? How does he get to be blessed? He has to ex- obey the next command. See, some of us, we will go to God and say, God, I just did what you asked me to do. Where's my blessing? But God is saying, listen, I know you did what I asked you to do. Now I need you to go here. And some of us don't want to go there because we're scared if we go there, it's going to require us to sacrifice again. We're scared that it's going to cause us to lose just a little bit more. We struggle with it day in and day out. And that's why we miss our blessing because the next step is actually our blessing. The next step is actually what God is calling us to do, where God wants us to be. And, and so here it is. Simon doesn't get confused by that. He says, okay, God, I'll go out to the deep. He gets out to the deep and God says, listen, I need you to throw down your net, cast down your net here in the deep. I want to show you that there is a problem with this uh, process, what God is asking him to do. Simon was used to fishing in the shallow. They didn't have fishing rods. They didn't have weights like we have now uh, that, that, that would take your lure down to the bottom. Uh, they had nets. The way these nets were designed, they were a web-type nets that had ropes all through them. And what would happen is they would throw them out in the shallows. They would trap the fish and weigh them to the bottom of the shallows. And as a result of it, they would tighten up the nets and pull them up. Kind of uh, the same way they do uh, some, some um, what is it, what is it, shrimp fishing now. They, they throw the net, they cast it down, it catches them. They draw it back up, and it has it so tight that when they pull it into the boat, the fish are trapped in, the water drains out. Make sense? That's, that works in the shallow. But God is saying, you know what? I need to take you out of the shallow and take you in 
to the deep. There's a problem with this because here it is, God. My nets are designed to work in the shallows. In order for it to work, it has to be thrown by me, catch the fish, weigh them down to the bottom, let me tighten them up, and then I bring them in. That is the process. That is the procedure to how this works. God, when you take me out to the deep and I throw my nets, the biggest issue is, number one, uh, I can't reach the deep. How, why can't I reach the deep? I don't have enough rope so that the net can drop down to the bottom. And now that I can't reach the deep, guess what happens? That means if I can't reach the deep, then I can't trap the fish so that I can secure the fish and bring them in. This is why while Simon has an issue, he's like, man, we, we fished all day and we didn't caught nothing. And you think we're going to catch something out here? He understands the process. My net is designed to, to grab the fish in between, trap them down, lock them in, and pull them out. That's the way it's designed. So if you're taking me out to the deep, what's going to happen is my net is going to go here. And the fish, come here, Jamon. And the fish are going to be somewhere midstream. Put yourself midstream, Jamon. Let the people see you. Come on up here. The fish are going to go somewhere midstream. My net goes here. The fish goes somewhere midstream. I can't lock the fish in because what can happen? The fish can drop, drop, Jamon, and they're going to escape my net. I come up empty-handed. So the process doesn't seem to work. But God is saying, literally, if you just trust me and throw it out there, you're going to catch something. Why is this important? It's important because of the fact when God is telling you to do something, it always don't make sense. Like, like can we be honest about it? When God explains something to us, it doesn't make sense. It, theoretically, that shouldn't have worked. They shouldn't have been able to catch fish in that situation. But you know why they were able to catch fish? Because God made the fish remain exactly where they needed to be just so they can catch it. God made it happen, but in order for it to happen, it wasn't that the blessing wasn't sitting there waiting. I could just imagine the fish all just standing in one place. Okay, God, I'm going to do what you asked me to do. The blessing is already sitting there waiting, but the problem is, is that we're so disobedient that we don't want to do what God is asking us to do and take the chance, take the risk. Why? Because we've wasted all last night, all last month, all last year. That could have been his excuse. I fished all night and didn't catch nothing. I just cleaned these nets. In other words, I just got my life together and you're asking me to do this again? You want me to go through this process again in a place where it's not supposed to be designed to work? But Simon says, you know what? Because you said it, I'm going to do it. He knew it didn't make sense, but he wrapped his head around the premise that because God said it, I'm going to do it. I'm trying to help some of y'all right now in this place. There are some young ladies that have been looking for husbands, looking for somebody to be right, and you've been doing it your way all day, every day, however you want to do it. And every time you get hurt, you get hurt. You pick yourself back up, you get hurt, you get hurt. Every time it goes the same way. God is sitting here speaking to your life saying, I got somebody for you. And the thing is that you're approaching God's promise with your old pains and your old problems, saying that if I can just do a little bit more than I did last time, if I can reach out a little bit more than I reached out last time, then maybe I can get what I really deserve. When God's saying, if you just do it my way, you'll get what you deserve. Some of us are struggling financially, but we're not struggling because the blessing is not sitting there waiting on it. We're struggling because we're scared to throw the net. 
We're scared to throw the net because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to tithe when I don't have enough money to pay my bills in the first place. But you know what makes makes sense to me? If I don't have enough money to pay it in the first place, at least I can try to earn God's blessing to cover me in my situation and my circumstances because he told me to do it. And simply because he said do it, guess what? I'm going to do it. Because if you ask me to do it, that means that you have a plan. And your plan is to use me to serve my purpose to reach my fullest potential. Simon had never had a fish day like this. This was the best fish day he ever had. The Bible tells us that in his fishing, he caught so many fish that the nets were beginning to rip. Can you imagine your nets being beginning to rip? And it's so bad that you have to call your friends. Oh, but catch that. When God blesses you, it ain't just about you. It's about somebody else. God don't just give you something so you can be happy. God blesses you so that you can share that blessing. Why? Because everything that God does in your life is so that you can receive not only a blessing, but God can receive the glory. Catch this. If Simon would have been greedy and not wanted to share his blessing and kept it to himself, guess what would have happened? The nets would have ripped. The nets would have ripped. He wouldn't have caught anything. He would have lost everything, plus now had to pay more money to repair something that was damaged. Because he didn't want to be used by God. But he gets to the point and he says, come over. I need you to help me. They load the boats up so much that they say the, the boats began to sink. Something that was designed to withstand this was now taken on water. Was now taken on water to the point that they didn't know what they were going to do. They had so much fish. That's the type of blessing. Anybody need that overflow blessing, that blessing that allows things to come into your life that you're not even looking for to come in your life? And so here it is that because of what they've done, they served their purpose. After they served their purpose, they had reached their full potential. I want to catch you something. I I want you to catch something. I'm throwing something to you. Don't act like Isaiah. Open your eyes. I want you to understand this. This was their full potential in this season because what? They were still fishermen. The transformation hadn't taken place yet. They had not been yet made disciples yet. The discipleship process has begun, but they have not earned the right to call themselves disciples of Christ yet. Because now what has to happen is that you got to be a real Christian. I'm trying not to throw stones in this place today. That you got to be a real believer not to be blessed by God and leave them. You got to be a real believer not to receive a blessing and walk away. Some of us, when God blesses us, the first thing that happens is that we forget God. That quick. When God shows us favor and grace on our lives, the first thing that happens is that we forget God. We came to God when we were struggling, didn't have a man. Now that we got a man, oh, I don't need to go to church no more. He don't want to go to church. We came to God when our finances was jacked, but now we got our income tax. Oh, I'm good. I'll catch you next time, Lord. It's okay to run to God when you're broke, but nobody wants to stick around while they're well. You know, that's the problem with the church. We don't have enough people sticking around to tell a testimony so we can keep people in the seats. We don't have enough people that's willing to stay around and testify that this does work. Therefore, I want to be able to stick around and help you develop and understand how it works. This is a part of being disciple, not only to experience the God, experience God, but to testify about God, to testify about how God has worked in your life. And so this is what happens. This is what happens. He, 
he gets the greatest catch of his life. And he could have been like most of us, fighting to get this thing in the land and saying, Jesus, thank you. God bless you, man. Be, be safe along your way. Start filleting them things, selling them things, opening up market, never going back fishing again because everything is good. He got everything he wants. And then there would have came a time where he would have been without. And he would have tried to go back to that same place and do that same thing. But the problem would be now is because God isn't with him. It wouldn't have worked. Simon realizes what has taken place here in this moment. And Simon says to himself, I don't only want to sell for reaching my potential. I want to reach a place of prosperity. I'm not talking about prosperity, about I need all the money in the world. I want to reach a place of prosperity that says I'm well off. I have exactly what I need. I don't have to need or want for anything anymore. You know that place where the Bible says God supplies the, all your needs according to his riches and glory. That place that says, that, that says uh, daily he gives you your daily bread, everything that you need. That, that, that's the place of prosperity. Prosperity ain't about how many zeros is in your bank account. Prosperity is about finding that place where you know that God will take care of everything that you need him to take care of. How do I know that that's the place? Because what happens next in the text, Simon don't get caught up about all this money he's going to make, all these fish in the boat. He drops to his knees before they hit land and say, God, leave me. For I am not holy, I am not clean. He, he comes to a place of repentance that says, you know what? I'm sorry I've been doing things my way. I'm sorry I was ignoring you and not following what you want me to do. I don't know what I was thinking. I was living life and it wasn't even life because it was life without you. He says, forgive me and leave me. This is where grace and mercy steps in. This is where God Himself says to him, listen, stand, Simon. It's okay. It's okay. He says, I want to use you to do greater things than what you've done before. This is where God is beginning to transition him from his place of just serving a purpose and reaching his potential to finding that place of prosperity, that place of peace, that place of comfort. He positions himself in such a way that God forgives him right where he is. God forgives him right where he is, and as a result of it, what happens, he says, listen, I want to change your job. I want to change your job title, but I'm not going to change your job description. I want to change your job title, but I don't want to change your job description. I want, I want you to hold that. I want you to retain that. I want to change your job title, but I don't want to change your job description. Simon was a fisherman by trade. But God moves to a position and says, you know what? I want to take you from being a fisherman to becoming a fisher of men. That, that is the assignment that God has given him. I'm changing your job title, but I'm not changing your job description. Simon already had the ability because he was the lead fisherman. Wherever Simon went, wherever Simon was doing his fishing, people wanted to go with him. When Simon was out there fishing, he signaled to his friends, what did they do? They didn't say, what you want, Simon? They came right over and helped Simon. Simon already had the ability to lead men. God just needed to change his focus. He, needed, he didn't need to change what he did. He just needed to change how he does it. 
The problem with many of us as believers is that we come to church and we stop allowing God to use us. I, I told a group of people I had the opportunity to preach yesterday, and I said, man, I used to be the, the best fast talker it was. I could fast talk a girl out of anything. That's, that was my thing. And that's what I love to do. And I found pride in it back then. And, I, and, I, and when I gave my life to God, I, I just I stopped doing what I was doing. But God, guess what? God didn't ask me to stop being a fast talker because now I can talk to you about the word every day. I can think quick on my fix. I can bring scriptures back to remembrance because of the simple fact that it was a skill that was already embedded to me. But without God, I was using it for my own gain and not his gain. God didn't tell me to come to the church and shut your mouth. I'm I'm sorry if if I could just be real today. There are some people that was dancing in the wrong way that need to be praise dancing in the church. There were some people that were singing for the wrong people, but now that they're in the church, they need to sing. There were some people that was giving somebody else the glory and honor and sacrificing for somebody else. But now they need to be sacrificing for the church. God has already instilled in you everything that you need to reach your purpose. The question is, do you want to now take what you've been holding in your hand yourself and place it in the hands of God? Do you want to put yourself in a position where you can just go from being satisfied to being taken care of exceedingly and abundantly to reach your full potential, to reach a place of prosperity, a place of peace? This is what happens in the text. Simon reaches this place because he says that he calls him to go from being a fisherman to a fisher of men. How do we know that they reached this place? All of this transpired before they even reached land. I want to read to you one final verse and we'll close on today. Verse 11 of this text simply says, when they had bought, brought their boats to land. So he, he gave his life to God before he even reached land. Even though he had all these fish, it wasn't all about that. He gave his, he gave his life to God before he reached land. And so it says, well, so when they had brought their boats to land, catch what they did. They left everything and followed him. This is how you know you're ready. That even when you've been blessed in the season that you're in, even when you receive whatever it is that you have and you think that you have everything that you could possibly want, are you willing to let it all go just to follow God? I believe that they follow God because they realized if God could do this for me right now, I need to stick with him. I want you to understand something. I want you to to grasp hold of something and walk with something. It's okay to receive a momentary blessing, but it's not okay to stay in that season when that blessing runs out. Simon had it figured out. He realized something that the only reason that these fish allowed me to catch them is because of who I had in my boat, in my life at that moment. So if I want to receive these type of overflow blessings, if I want to see this type of direction day in and day out for my life, if I want somebody that can see what I can't see, if I want somebody that can provide for me when I can't provide for myself, who can cover me when I can't cover myself, who can pour into me when I can't pour into myself, if I want that, I can't get caught up about what he's gave me. I'm going to leave this behind for the principle that if you leave and I'm leaving with you. Jesus, if you're going to leave this lake, I don't want to be here anymore. Because tomorrow can't promise me 
what you've given me today. This is why we shouldn't get attached to things. This is why God has put me in a position in the place now that I don't care if the building, what it looks like. I care about it being nice, but at the end of the day, this isn't important. I want to go where Jesus is going. As a disciple, it's my job to be a follower of him. Wherever he's walking, I want to walk. As a disciple, it's my job to be an advocate for him. Because I know that everybody that's by this lake has heard about him. I need to go somewhere else and share the gospel. You don't come to church to share the gospel. You come to church to fellowship, to be encouraged. But we need to realize that we need to take the same Jesus, the same message, the same thing that we learn now back on our jobs. We need to take this back to the bus stops. We need to take this back into our schools. If we really want to see a difference in the world, it begins with us. It's not about who's in the White House. It's not about who's on the Supreme Court. The biggest change in the world begins in our communities, in our families. If you're not a disciple in your own house, what makes you think that you can be a disciple in the church? If you can't be a disciple for Christ in, in private, what makes you think you deserve to be a disciple in public? This is a call to discipleship. After this message, even though we got two more, we should be ready to sign up for the race. And again, I don't know about you, but I don't like finishing in last place. But the greatest thing about this is that if you're on Team Jesus, you never lose. You don't have to worry about who gets there first. All that matters is that I get there. Because if I can get there, I will receive exactly what God has for me. Come on, somebody. If I can get there, I can receive the overflow, the blessing, everything that God has promised me. Because guess what? What God is giving you is for you in the first place. It's not what's for me. I don't care how your job is giving you raise, my raise is coming. I don't care what car that you have, my car is coming. Whatever God has for me, my wife, your husband, whatever it is, it's coming. But what has to happen? You got to first start the race. I'll leave you with this as we stand all around this room. I'll leave you with this. This is the beginning of discipleship. But there's another individual y'all heard me talk about before, and they call him the rich young ruler. I like to tell people he had the ability and the opportunity to be the 13th disciple. How do we know this? Because he ran to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? What must I do? He came seeking something from God and God gave him the same command that he gave the disciples here this is why I say he could be the 13th disciple God let them had them leave everything and follow him Jesus told that rich young ruler the exact same thing sell everything you have leave it all and follow me the exact same command the exact same phrase but that man made a different decision than the initial disciples. That man decided today that the things that I have are too valuable to sell. I don't want to give my blessings to the poor. I don't want to do what you're asking me to do. And I want you to catch something because he did everything else right. The Bible says that he did everything else right. He, he obeyed the commandments. He honored his mother and father. He didn't put another God before him. He was a good person. 
Why is that important to understand? Because being a good person doesn't guarantee you the kingdom. Your life is nothing if you're living it by yourself. God is issuing a command right now that you leave everything else and follow me. He's not literally asking you to give up your house, but he's saying don't make it priority. He's not asking you to give up your relationship, but don't make it number one. He's asking you, make me number one. Why is it important to make God number one? Because if you make God number one, you will handle everything else that is in your life appropriately. But when you get blinded by the relationships that you're in, then you will tear up some other relationships just to keep this one relationship. When you get blinded by your financial situation, you will destroy other things just to keep this one thing. God wants to add to you, not subtract from you. Father God, we come before you in this place. Thank you for all the great things that you've done. Thank you for the word that you've shared, how we've moved forward. God, thank you that you have come to us and through your statements, you have asked us a question. Are we ready? God, I don't know if anybody has ever heard it explained like this before. I know it's my first. And God, I thank you for convicting me before you can begin to convict the people. That you started at the head and began to work yourself down. So God, in this moment right now, I make the declaration that I'm ready. I'm ready for whatever it is that you want to do in our lives, in this ministry, in my family. Father God, I'm ready. And I pray right now that there are hearts in here that are prepared to be just as ready for you. This is my prayer. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. Listen, I want to offer you the opportunity if you're here today.